We do want to thank you for uh, all that you all did in prayer and support for VBS. And I believe we have a video uh, that we're going to go ahead and show you all to just kind of give you a glimpse of what uh, VBS, what we were able to do um, and what the kids experienced this year. So if we can go ahead and show that video.
So we do appreciate all of you that did help, that donated, and especially those of you guys that prayed for everything that was going on this week. It was um, it was an amazing week. Like I, I tell everybody every year, um, my two favorite weeks of the summer are VBS week and retreat week, and it's kind of neat because they're always kind of back-to-back, and uh, it, it was just a lot of fun, and so we do appreciate it, and now it's time to start praying for next year's VBS. But uh, this morning, if you would go ahead and open up with me to James chapter 1, starting in verse 19. So James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, and we're going to be in James 1, 19 through 25 this morning. So James 1, verse 19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we come before you right now. We just pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would prepare us this morning for what you have for us in your word. And Lord, that it would be something that we carry long after we leave this place. That it would be something that impacts our lives in a very real way. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was telling service last night that I really love the book of James because it's, it, it's a short and yet powerful book. And it just, James doesn't pull any punches. He tells you what needs to take place and he just, he lays it out there. And, and I love that because sometimes for me, like my wife will tell you, I'm not that smart and I don't pick up on signals, you know? And so I need somebody to just come and tell me, hey, look, you're wrong. This is what needs to happen and this is what you need to do. And for me, every time I've opened the book of James, that's what takes place. And so he writes this book and he writes it mainly to believers and his theme throughout the book is just encouraging them to grow, to mature, to continue to develop their walk with Christ. And what we're going to look at this morning is how we do that by studying the Word. And I'll be completely honest, for all the years that I had read the book of James, I had never applied verses 19 and 20 to reading my Bible. Like, for whatever reason, I had this mental block that 19 and 20, it had everything to do with relationships with people, but it had absolutely nothing to do with God. And I have no idea why I thought that way, but this week while I was studying, it was one of those things that it just kind of like, it hit me while we were, I was in my office and I was reading through a commentary and they were like, oh yeah, 19 and 20, and they started applying it to God, and I was like, dude, no way, this is crazy. Like, it was just, it blew my mind. So hopefully... It blows your mind too. But at the very least, it blew mine. But it says in verse 19, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear and slow to speak. 
And I love just even that first part because he tells us how we're supposed to approach the Bible, how we're supposed to be quick to hear, slow to speak. And I think that that is something a lot of times that we struggle with. Because when we read or when we come to a teaching or whatever else, we'll sit there and we'll immediately begin thinking of the people that what we just read applies to. I think it was about a month ago I taught in here. And we talked about having patience with your children and raising them up. And I can't tell you the number of people, and maybe it was even some of you, that came out and said, I'm so glad you taught on that. My husband really needed to hear it. <laughs> or I'm so glad I was elbowing my wife the entire time. And I was like, you know, like in the moment I was like, oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, my wife needed to hear it too. You know, but it was just one of those things that as I was thinking about it later, I was like, okay, but what did you hear? Because you were there too, and it wasn't there, you weren't there by accident, and you weren't just there to bring your husband or wife. You were there to hear it too, and in all the elbowing and all the thinking of all the ways it applied to somebody else, did you miss out on what God was trying to say to you? And it was one of those things that I even started looking at some of the old journals that I've kept of things that I've written as I've done my devotionals. And I noticed that even in reading by myself, I tend to do the same thing that as I'm reading, sometimes I'm already preparing to teach and it'll show up because I'll be writing in my journal and something will hit me and I'll put, oh yeah, we tend to do this. And I was reading that this week and I was like, we? How many of you are writing this? Like, how many personalities do you have, Sam? Like, it was just you and God. What is this we? But it's what we do a lot of times, like kind of like this defense mechanism. Oh, you know what? Like, it hit me, so let me apply it to somebody else so I don't have to look at it too closely. So, oh, yeah, you know what? This isn't for me. This is for the church as a whole, and I can't wait to share it. And one of the things I tell the kids and, and one of the things that God reminded me of this week is it's really hard to share something you haven't first received. And so before anything else, we have to be coming to the word, whether it's in a teaching, a conference, or even in our private devotions. And we, we need to be ready to hear not what God wants to speak to everybody else, but what is it that God brought you to hear? What is it that he's wanting to speak to you? And I love the example we're given in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, where we see the, the call of Samuel, and we see how Eli tells Samuel to respond to the call. And it's just, it's a real simple answer, and yet it's one that a lot of times we struggle with. But in 1 Samuel chapter 3, starting in verse 8, it says, The Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. I love that. I love just the simplicity of the answer. It's not, oh, Lord, I'm so glad you're here because I have a laundry list of things that you need to fix. Lord, I have so many questions or there are so many things that are going on, Lord, and where have you been? But the answer was very simple. Speak for your servant hears. 
And I think a lot of times that's the attitude that we lack when we come to the word or when we come to teachings. But that's the attitude that we're supposed to have. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. You know, we were going through 1 Corinthians, or we are going through 1 Corinthians with the youth on Wednesday nights. And one of the things that, again, just popped with me uh, this week as we were going through it is when Paul describes himself and, and us as fellow servants in 1 Corinthians 4, that the word there that he uses to describe it, what it really meant was an underrower. And when you start thinking about it, an underrower was the servants that the Romans put at the bottom of their ships to roll their huge warships and everything else. And it was neat because it was this idea that while the servant had a place, all he was there to do was row. He was told when to row, how fast to row, and everything else. And he had no control over that. He was just supposed to do it. His job was to listen and do what he was told. And man, how often do we forget that that is what our calling really is? Lord, you are God and I am not. You speak and you tell me what it is that you have for me to do today. It's not about what I want you to do. It's about what you want me to do. It's about what needs to happen in my life. And James reminds us from the very beginning, as we open the word, before we come to God with all of our, everything else, we need to listen to what it is that he has to say. You know, it's something that even my mom used to tell me all the time because I was a very talkative kid, which I guess really limited my future, and I guess that's why I became a pastor, because I love to talk. But she would always tell me, son, there is a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth, because it is more important to listen than to speak. And I think it's something that as we come before the word, it needs to be a reminder, hey, he didn't give us two mouths, he gave us two ears. Let's hear what he has to say. As he goes on, the other part of that is he says, not only do we need to listen, and not only do we need to hear, but we need to come with the right heart. He says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I thought, man, how crazy that James would have to remind us not to be angry at God for the things that he speaks to us. And I thought, man, you know what, that, and for the longest time, that's why I thought, you know what, it, it can't be speaking about our relationship with God. Because who would come to God angry at what he said? And then as I continued to grow in my walk, I realized that it was, and, and really even just last week, I realized it was for our relationship with God, because how many times do we shut our Bibles in anger because we don't need to hear it right now? How many times do we quit coming to church because every time I come, I leave convicted, or I feel bad when I come to church, or, you know, all these other things, the excuses that we give, and it's almost like the way that, you know, we blame our dryers for our clothes shrinking. You know, and it's like, oh man, my dryer's broken or my scale's broken. You know, my weight keeps going up and I know I've been the same weight since high school. I don't know what the problem is. You know, my pants don't fit anymore. Like they just don't make them like they used to. Well, I I'm here to tell you they make pants generally the same way. But I think the problem might have less to do with the scale and the dryer and more about what we're eating. I know that that was a hard thing for me. I always used to have this idea that as long as I could keep my waist size in the 30s, I wasn't chubby. 
clearly I was lying to myself. But I just, I felt like, hey, if I, if I stay in the 30s, even if I'm like at a 39 and a half, you know, like we're good. And there got to be a point where the 30s, like the 38s were like, I mean, they were dangerous. And so I found like, hey, you know what? Relaxed fit jeans give you a little bit more stretch. And so I, I didn't wear boots, but I started wearing like relaxed boot fit jeans that were 38s because technically I was still a 38. Because you know what? They're just making pants for kids now with the skinny jeans and everything, and, and I'm just not like that. I'm conservative. I'm a Christian. I don't need to show off my butt. And I made all these excuses for the fact that I was gaining weight. You know, it was, it was the pant company. It was a conspiracy. It was, you know what, it, it was really, it was God's fault. Because I used to eat like this all the time. And now he slowed down my metabolism. So, you know what, God, I don't know what you're trying to prove. Like, it was just all these different things. But it was never my fault. And nothing changed until I began to take responsibility for it. And I wonder how many times we sit in the same place, feeling the same conviction over the same things because it's everybody's el- everybody else's fault and not ours. Because we don't need to hear it right now. And yet, that's why we're here. We do need to hear it. See, we don't want to follow the example of Herodias given to us in Mark chapter 6 where Herodias is the wife of Herod at this time, but some of you all may remember she's the one that decided or conspired to have John the Baptist beheaded. And in Mark chapter 6, we get the reason why. When you start in verse 16, it says, But when Herod heard, he said, This is John whom I beheaded, speaking of Jesus. And it says, And he has been raised from the dead. And then we get the backstory of John the Baptist. In verse 17, it says, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. Because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore, Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him. And then it goes on to to explain how she eventually carried out the deed. But we see that she wanted to kill him because he told her that the marriage that she was in was wrong. And so she decided that if I can get rid of John, the problem's going to go away. And what we realize a lot of times, and maybe what some of you have realized the same way that I've realized in my life, closing the word or disregarding the message or attacking the messenger doesn't cause the problem to go away. Because the problem's not with the message, the problem's with me. And it doesn't go away until I receive it and I change what needs to be fixed. And so James says it's not just about coming and listening, but coming with the right heart. And part of that means coming ready with a heart of repentance. In verse 21, he goes on and he says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. He goes on and he says, again, not enough to hear, not just the right attitude, but being willing to apply it. Being willing and humble enough to say, you know what, there are things that need to change in my life. He says, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. 
In other words, you can't just add God to your sinful life. That there needs to be an attitude of repentance as you come before him. One of the things we tell the kids is that a lot of times we come to God like, you know, the the people that, you know, they go and, and they work out all the time and they can't figure out why they're not losing weight. And they post these, these you know, self just these thoughtful posts, you know, as they're sitting in front of like a dozen donuts or a huge cake. And it's like, I just don't understand what the problem is. I work out all the time and I keep gaining weight. And there's like, you know, like, you know, an ice cream cake in front of them. And you're like, I think I know what the problem is. You may be working out, but what are you eating, man? Like, what are you putting in? You can't just add that and then say, okay, well, you know what? Working out doesn't work for me. Well, it would if you would have discipline at home. If my wife is hearing this, she's probably going to use it against me because I went and got a big bag of chocolate gym donuts that I have waiting for me at home. But it's one of those that a lot of times that's the way we are. Well, I don't understand. This isn't working. Okay, well, are you putting in the discipline? How many times have we said, oh, you know what? The Bible's just not speaking to me. God's gone silent in my life. And one of the questions I would have to ask is, is it possible that it's not that he's gone silent? Is it possible that there is sin in your life keeping you from hearing? Is it possible that there are things that, man, he's called you to do that you have been unwilling to do? And so, man, you've begun to tune him out. See, what James says is, man, you need to come and you need to be willing to remove all the filthiness and overflow of wickedness. I like the way that Jeremiah chapter 4 puts it. Because in Jeremiah chapter 4, we see the Lord calling the people of Israel to repentance. And he says, if you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, starting in verse 1 of Jeremiah 4. If you will return, O Israel, says the Lord, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. And you shall swear the Lord lives in truth, in judgment, and in righteousness. The nations shall bless themselves in him, and in him they shall glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. I like that last part. Break up your fallow ground. You know, honestly, I'm not much of a farmer and I don't, I mean, if you came to my backyard, you would realize I have no idea what it means to make things grow or anything like that. I'm really good at growing those vines that kill everything or weeds, but that's about it. So when it said, hey, break up the ground, break up your fallow ground, I was like, oh man, what does that mean? And that word fallow, it has the idea that it once was a productive piece of land, but it has gone dormant. It's not that there was never fruit there, but it's that now it is, it is basically gone unused. And so what he's telling the people is return to where you once were. Break up the fallow ground. Repent of where you've, you've got into. Come back to where you were so that there may be fruit growing again. Because as it goes on, it says, you know what? And do not sow among thorns. In other words, there were things growing. They just weren't the right things. It wasn't that the land couldn't bear fruit. It's that the work wasn't being put in 
to prepare it to bear fruit. And it's one of those things that, again, we have to ask ourselves, are we preparing our heart? Are we coming with that heart of repentance before the Lord? Lord, test me, try me. Are there things that I need to change? Are there things that need to be removed in my life? You know, when you go back and you read the Gospels and you see the the message that John the Baptist brought initially, you realize what a hardcore message he brought, what a challenge it was, because John was preaching primarily to the Jews and he was telling them to repent, which was a big deal because that was something that they thought only Gentiles had to do because being Jews meant that you were getting into heaven, that you were as close to God as you could possibly be, and yet John calls them to to the wilderness and he says man you need to repent and it begins to bear fruit so much so that we see the pharisees and sadducees show up and i love john's response to them because what he tells them is who told you to come bear fruits worthy of repentance he tells them it's not enough to come if you're not coming to change if you're not coming to repent And I think sometimes we take that first half, come just as you are, and we stay there. And yes, we want people to come just as they are, but we don't want them to leave the same way. You know, you look at the things that Jesus said to people, where, you know, the woman brought to him found in adultery, and he says, go your way and sin no more. Do not continue where you were at. Yeah, go your way, but go your way changed. Break up the fallow ground. Repent. Step out of where you're at and get to where you know you should be. He says, man, we need to receive the word with meekness, with humility. goes on back in James chapter 1, and he says, Now it's not even just enough just to hear and to receive, but in verse 22 he says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He says, listen, okay, you need to come with the right heart, ready to hear. You need to have the right attitude, ready to accept it and and, and not get angry. You need to come with your heart prepared, ready to repent. But then once you leave, now you need to apply what it is that you've received with that ready heart. I grew up in the age of G.I. Joe and Mask and all those cartoons where at the end of almost every episode, they would have that little PSA with the you know, NBC rainbow or whatever that came over. And it would say, hey, and now you know, and G.I. Joe or whoever would tell you, and knowing is half the battle. I have come to realize that knowing is nowhere near half the battle. Knowing is at best 10% of the battle because the real struggle comes when we have to step out and do it. And James tells us, man, if you're just a hearer and not a doer, not a practicer of the word, the only person you're deceiving is yourself. And I think that that is something that has been hardcore for me to realize, something we, we... we talk to the kids a lot about because I think a lot of times we get really good at playing the part. We get really good at knowing how to come to church and how to speak at church and all those things. I told them I I used to love to to be that creeper in the youth room because we have a window that goes out to the parking lot. And so I would just kind of like open the blinds and watch people as they came in. 
because it was just so interesting to see because man sometimes you'd see families and they're like yelling at each other you thought that UFC was about to break out in the parking lot because like kids are crying the mom's yelling the dad's like hey we're late we need to hurry all this stuff but they get to like you know like where they felt like people could see them right before they get to the front door and everybody would like put on smiles and it would just be like, oh, you know, welcome. Oh, hi, brother. We're just so blessed to be here. And I'd be like, you liars. <laughs> you know, like, I, I, I saw you. Like, I couldn't say that because I think that would have just been creepy. Some of you guys are probably creeped out right now. You're like, man, you know, Pastor Sam's like, he's a stalker, you know. Like, you know, security is going to now have a detail in the youth room just to keep me away from the windows. You know, but it's just one of those that, man, we come and we know exactly how to act. Sometimes because we've been here so long, we've played the part so well for so long, but that's all it is. Because once we leave here, we're like, all right, man, I checked that off the list. I've done my duty for the week. Now I can go back and do whatever it is I was going to do. And we pick up the argument right where we left off. And you know what? We may have come and we may have heard. But it did absolutely no good because we're not going home and doing. And we see, again, a wonderful example of that. When you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 15, and you see, really, I guess we could call it the fall, or the ultimate fall of Saul. Where he's sent, and he's given exact instructions on what he's supposed to do. But it doesn't matter when he goes to do it. In 1 Samuel 15, in those first three verses, we see Samuel come to Saul with a, with a mission. And he, he's going to give him the parameters of the mission exactly. Starting in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 15, it says, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and utterly, uh, now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. I mean, it really doesn't get more specific than that. He, Saul is sent on this mission to wipe Amalek off the face of the earth. To leave nothing. But when you go to verse 8 and 9, you see what Saul ultimately did. It says, He also took Agag, a king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lamb, and all that was good, and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Saul is told, go and keep nothing. Destroy everything. And Saul heard, go and keep the best for yourself. And then when you read the rest of the chapter, you realize that not only was Saul just a disobedient guy, but he was a horrible liar. Because Samuel comes to him and he says, hey, didn't I tell you to destroy everything? And Saul, with a bunch of sheep and lambs, which I really don't think you can teach to be quiet, Saul's got all these animals and he says, but I did destroy everything. It's like listening to my five-year-old try and tell a lie. Layla, did you clean? Yes, I did, as she stands in the middle of a mess. Oh, clean this? No, I didn't do that. But that's Saul, right? 
yeah, I did exactly what God called me to do, then why do you have all of this plunder? Why do you have all these things that you were told not to have, Saul? Oh, well, that's the people's fault. That's everybody else's fault. See, Saul knew what he was supposed to do, but when it came time to do it, he didn't step out and do it. And again, as you read the rest of 1 Samuel 15, we see the emphasis God places on obedience and how Saul is ultimately rejected as being king because God values obedience. And it's one of those that it makes us wonder sometimes, are we being obedient to the word? In my life, am I doing what God has called me to do? And it's not always going to be the most fun or the easiest thing. We went on retreat with the youth this past week. We actually went up to Lone Tree. And and I can tell you men that are still on the fence of going, it is definitely worth it. It is an amazing place and it's an amazing experience. So if you haven't signed up, then you guys need to go do that. So that's my little plug for the men's conference. But we were up there. And as we were driving up, God had really spoken to my heart. And it was one of those where he had told me that we had sent uh, some staff from, or some kids from our church to work up there for the summer. And a couple of them we had sent. And, and I just, over the last couple of years, I had treated them poorly. You know, to be completely honest, I had just sinned against them. I had, done, I had treated them in a way that was not godly, that was not right. And so as we're driving up there, God's speaking to me as I'm driving the van. And he says, Sam, you know what you need to do. When you get there, you need to seek them out and you need to apologize. And I said, okay, God, like as soon as I get a chance to let you know, it's a busy week. You know, like I may not have a chance to apologize. And it was like, you need to seek them out. And I was like, okay. So I was driving up. And I already had come up with all my excuses for I was well, I didn't see them while they were busy or whatever else. We got there and one of them was standing like on this big dump truck with a mic welcoming us. And he was like, hey, Sam. And God's like, go apologize. And I was like, hey, I got to go unpack. You know, and so like I just took off. And for the first two days we were there, there were all sorts of opportunities. One of them was running the rifle range one day. And I literally ended up spending two hours out there with her, just hanging out and shooting guns. Two hours where God kept telling me, apologize, apologize, apologize. And, you know, we were having such a good conversation. that I was like, God, why bring up old stuff? You know, like, yeah, things are good now. Let sleeping dogs lie. You know, all the things. And finally, you know, the whole week, you know, it, the teachings were about love and unity and humility and all these things. And finally, Wednesday night, I'm sitting there in worship. And God, you know, just kind of like grabs my heart. And he says, how long are you going to be a hypocrite? Oh, man. Okay. And I had to go seek out these kids that, man... At least one of them I had taught in, in the youth and here at the church since they were in sixth grade. And I had to go pull them aside and say, you know what? I need your forgiveness because I sinned against you. It was one of the most humiliating, humbling things that I've ever had to do, but one of the most rewarding. Because the teachings that had been so convicting and so difficult to sit through the first couple of nights. Even one of the guys I had to apologize, apologize to was my small group leader. <laughs> and I'd be sitting there and I, everything he taught, I was like, dude, like, why don't you just call me out in front of the kids? 
But then afterwards, like it was crazy, his teaching style, the things he was saying, they didn't change. But after I went and apologized, after we reconciled and all that, man, it was crazy because I heard the teachings in a totally different way. It became this really encouraging thing and and all the teachings about love and unity and go and speak to your brother if you've offended them and all that stuff. Man, it was so neat because I was like, God, I've seen that happen. That is so cool. And it was one of those, man, now I understand why you wanted me to do this. It wasn't easy. But man, there was growth that took place just by going over and being willing to be obedient. And sometimes the things that God is putting on our heart, they're difficult for us to do. It means giving up sometimes, not just the worthless and the things that we don't care about, but it means letting go of the things that we do. And we have to be willing to follow through. That it can't be something that we come to service on a Sunday or go to a men's retreat or a youth retreat or any other kind of event and say, man, God spoke to me. But then we do nothing with it the rest of the year. We need to be willing to take it and then apply it, to put it into practice in our lives. Because as James goes on in verse 23, he says, For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. You know, one of the things I have found in my life is that I never feel like I have it more together as a Christian than when I'm not reading my Bible. That is when I feel like I have the right to tell everybody else what they're doing wrong because, man, really, I've got it all figured out. I should write a book on how to be in your 30s, be a youth pastor, and, you know, have the perfect family and everything else because, man, you know, some of you guys, you're struggling and you need my wisdom. I will freely admit I have none. But when I am not in the word, I get this puffed up opinion of myself because it's like, you know, some of the, we, we tell the kids, you know, guys, sometimes we, we have a more generous view of our physical abilities than maybe we really should. You know, like we wake up in the morning and we shower and we look at ourselves in the mirror and we're like, oh, snap. I need to go to the gym. Like, the belly is not supposed to be hanging over my feet. Like, there's a problem here. Like, you know, I I should not have to lift it to tie my shoes. Like, I need to go to the gym. But as we go through the day, if we don't look at ourselves in the mirror, you know, like, maybe we just catch the reflection from the chest up. We're like, hey, I'm looking pretty good. You know, like, I can miss a couple more days. I can have that double, and I can what size it, you know, because, man, I'm doing good. Then we, we're walking around, and we see our reflection or our shadow on the ground, and we're like, dude, I am ripped. We don't realize it, but it's because there's another dude standing next to us, and his shadow has covered ours. But we're like, dude, man, I, I don't need to go to the gym. I need to open a gym. People need to understand what I'm doing. I need to share my secrets. And people around are saying, dude, we know your secret. You spend all day at Dunkin' Donuts and Krispy Kreme. It's not a secret, and I don't want it. But we get this idea that, man, oh, I look so good because we've forgotten who we are. 
And that's what happens when we stop reading, when we stop listening to what God is saying. You know, one of the cool things about Paul is that as he grew in his walk with the Lord, and you read through his letters towards the end of his life when he's writing First and Second Timothy, the way he describes himself to Timothy is, I am the chief of all sinners. The closer he got to finishing his race, the more he learned about who God was, the more he realized what a sinner he was. While we were at camp, there was this neat moment where we were sitting there and we have leaders meetings every night. And the camp director, he's been there for over 20 years. He's now got two girls that are in college and you know, he's just, he's a really neat guy. And so we're sitting there, and one of the younger couples, that they're, they're getting ready to, to welcome their second baby, they asked him, so Steve, I need to know, like, how do you balance family and ministry? Like, what's the secret? How, how do you do it? And I loved the humility of his answer because he said, when you find that out, you come and let me know. And I thought, man... That's humility. That's somebody that, man, you know, we look at him, and, and, I, and I honestly, I see him maybe two, three times a year, and I consider him a spiritual mentor because he's just, he's been doing it so long, and he's just, he's an amazing guy. The kids tell me I fangirl over him, but like he's just, he's just really a neat guy in my life. And yet to hear him say, you know what, I don't have it all figured out and I'm open to what God's spoken to you. I thought, see, there is the heart of a man walking with God. It's not, okay, look at me, but you know what, guys, don't even worry about what I'm doing. You know what, you need to look to God and allow his wisdom to sustain you because I'm a failure. And he straight up said, I have failed in that more than I've succeeded. And I thought, man... That's a guy who's constantly looking in the mirror and allowing God to work in him. See, that's the last part of this. It says in verse 25, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I like that idea in verse 25, but he who looks, because it's not just a glance that James is talking about. It's an examination. The only thing I could think of to compare it to is like watching my wife when she puts on her makeup when we're going somewhere real nice. Like she is so patient. I've had to choose my words carefully because she texted me earlier talking about the live stream. So in case she's watching, she is so patient. That's the word we're all going to agree to use when we describe this story. She is so patient when she does that. And she will like, you know, very carefully apply each level or station or whatever it is that women do, because I don't understand it all. But like she will carry carefully and she will take her time doing it. And at the end of it, as we're getting ready to walk out the door, she'll tell me, hey, babe, does this makeup look, my face look too orange or am I wearing too much makeup? And I'll be honest, I don't even look. Because by that time... I've aged. We were celebrating our eighth anniversary, and now we're already on our 15th, you know? And, and so I'm just like, I, you know what, babe? You could look like a clown. I just want to eat, you know? And so we leave, or we get ready to leave, but then my 17-year-old, who hasn't learned the benefit of silence yet, walks by. 
And she'll say, Ethan, does this makeup make my face look orange or weird? And before I can tackle him, he's already like, you know what, Mom? It kind of does. And I look at him and I'm like, I will cut you. <laughs> like, I will eat you at this point. Because what ends up happening is she goes back to the room, takes it all off, and starts over. And I'm like, I don't even care anymore. <laughs> like, we're never leaving this house. You know, but it's this idea of examining that, man, everything in its place. And, man, that, that idea of, hey, man, if it's not right, I'm going to do it again. That's what James is talking about. Do we read the word like that? Lord, if there's something that's not right, man, take it out and begin again. I'm not worried about how long it's going to take. I want it to be right. I want to be pleasing to you. And then Jim says, and continuing it, don't stop. One of the things and I was sharing again with this, this man, Steve, up at the camp, was I said, you know, one of the things that sometimes discourages me is talking to people and, and hearing the way they talk about the rapture. Because they talk about it and they realize it's coming close. But there's this attitude of, well, since it's coming close, it's time to just sit back and wait. And I think that's such the wrong attitude to have. And I say it's sad sometimes because you look around and you see people and they tell their war stories of the things that God used to do, of how it used to be, of what God used to do in my life or how he used to speak. And it's always past tense. And it's like hearing retired veterans telling war stories of days gone by. And yet there is no retirement in the Bible. There's no retirement for us as Christians. You run the race until you finish it, and you don't decide when it's done. God does. James tells us we continue in it, and he leaves it open-ended because you continue in it until he calls you home. That's the way it is. And Steve was telling me how it, it reminded him of how he ran, he runs marathons all the time. And last year, he, he decided to run a 100-mile marathon again. It's like a 24-hour run. I got tired just listening to him talk about it. I was like, dude, I need a break. But he was like, I decided to run this marathon, but he didn't finish. And he didn't finish it because, you know, he had had a diet plan in place. But once he got to the actual race, he got overconfident, and he ate hummus. I've never had hummus. After hearing his story, I probably will never eat hummus. Because he says that, man, the hummus messed with his stomach. And he started getting that, those real bad stomach cramps where you know something bad is coming. And he had to stop running. And he was like, and I posted it on Instagram. I, I shared the fact that I was dropping out of the race. And he was like, and the comments I received made me so mad. And I started thinking, because I follow him on Instagram, I was like, I, 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 what did, did I say anything? Like, did I offend him? Like, is he going to kill me and leave me out here in the camp? Like, what's going on? And he goes, yeah, everybody was so encouraging. And I was like, isn't that a good thing? And he goes, they were encouraging of me quitting. He's like, what I really needed to hear in that moment was, Steve, suck it up. Take another step. Run another mile. You committed to this. Why are you stopping? 
But he was like, I didn't hear that from anybody, and it made me so upset. And I thought it was so weird. It's even weirder as he talked later, and we realized that he quit at the 55th mile. And I was like, dude, that's 54 and three quarters miles, and I would have made it. Like, that's amazing. And he said, and see, that's the problem. That's what everybody says. And he says, and that's how it translates a lot of times into our relationship with other Christians. Hey, you're not reading our Bible. It's okay, man. Like, I know we get busy. Hey, you're not applying it. It's all right. You know, you've done it for a while. You deserve a break. No, you don't. And if you're too busy to read your Bible, then you're too busy and you need to make some changes. See, we don't need to be encouraging of people dropping out of the race. We need to be challenging them to finish it. Because there is so much work yet to be done. And I think so many times we tell people almost in the same way that we encourage Steve on Instagram, you've made it pretty far. You've made it further than a lot of other people. Well, if you didn't finish it, it doesn't matter how far you made it. You didn't finish. And like we tell the kids, it's not about how you've begun. It's how you end. Are you continuing in it until the end? Are you finishing strong? One of the things that I tell you all probably every time that I get up here is what a blessing for me it is to have an office next to Pastor Tom because I am convinced that that guy does not age. Like, I have known him for a very long time, and nothing changes. I mean, his energy level is the same. I heard him talking even this week about how he walks up to announcements and he has a strut. And I was like, he does. He really, I was watching right now. I was like, he does. I was like, man, I walk up and I'm like, man, I just hope I had enough coffee to finish service. And Tom's like, you know, singing zippity doodai and he's like ready to start the day. And I'm just like, wow, what's the, what is it? What's the secret? And I think this is a secret. He continues in the Word. His strength isn't in some herbal supplement or anything else, but his strength is found in God. And he's renewed day by day by day. And I'm sure that there are days that he's tired. I'm sure there are days he makes mistakes. I'm sure there are days he doesn't want to do what God has called him to do. But if you talk to him, you would never know it. And for me, even after service last night, I told him, that he is a constant encouragement and conviction for me. Because he is that perfect example of continuing in the word. And it's one of those that, man, whenever I'm whatever age Pastor Tom is, I want to be that. I want somebody to come up and say, you know what, it's an encouragement to see Pastor Sam because, man, he's got the joy of the Lord. And, and man, I can tell it's because he's continuing in it. But it begins in my private time. As I sit down to read, to study, Lord, try me and know me. Examine me. Do we need to begin again? Lord, what is it that you need to work on in my life? I'm not worried about everybody else right now. We'll get to them later. But Lord, this is you and me time. What is it that you're speaking to me? We sing a song in the youth room 
or one of the lines that just always is a cool reminder to me of the way it is to be a Christian because it says, I know I'm filled to be emptied again. And I just love that thought. The man, he fills me to pour me out on somebody else. And the cool thing is, is he never runs out. And I would challenge you, I would encourage you, man, get in the word, remain in the word, continue in the word. Be constantly filled so that you can pour out on the people around you. We showed the video and it said over 200 kids came. And I can say without the shadow of a doubt because I was here and I saw the people in the classrooms and the teaching and everything else that those kids experienced being poured out on. Because those leaders that showed up were filled every morning. And it was one of the most beautiful things to see. Now the challenge is not to just let it be that one week of VBS. Because there are people outside that need us to be pouring into them. People you work with, maybe family members. And they need to know about the gospel. They need to see it alive in your life. They need to see it lived out. We tell the kids, see, the world outside, they don't need a more relevant message. They don't need you to speak their language, do what they do, and act like they act. What they need is they need to see the John the Baptists in the wilderness calling out, make way the way of the Lord. The kingdom is at hand. Come and repent. They need to see authentic Christians living out an authentic faith before a world that is searching for hope. And that is what James is encouraging us to be and to continue to grow into those authentic Christians applying and living out daily the things that God is speaking to us. That's what we need to get back to. So we're going to close in prayer. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've walked away from it a little bit and you're busy and everything else, maybe you need to break up the fallow ground. There's going to be men up front that are willing to pray with you, to get on their knees with you, to, to come with that heart of repentance. To say, Lord, man, I want the fruit that once was there to be there again. The cool thing is, is that it'll happen. We just have to be willing to come and ask. So if you all would please stand with me and we'll close in prayer. Lord, we come before you. And we know that so many times, Lord, we haven't come with the right heart. We haven't come with the right attitude. And Lord, we've left the same way that we come in. Lord, we pray that you would stop that today in our lives, that you would end that cycle Lord, that we would allow you to have your way in our lives. The Lord, like we sing so often, burn away all those things that are not of you but are of me. We pray today that that would be more than a song that we sing, but that would be an attitude of our heart and our life. That as we study your word, as we examine your word, and more importantly, as we allow it to examine us, that we would be willing to allow you to burn away things in our lives that are keeping us from you. We just pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.